This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yellen! Tony Bellinger hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Ken Rosenthal did a piece about the Athletics and the Red Sox coming up here in London. And the way all of our sports are trying to go international. Hockey has already been international. They started out international. We have seen the growth of the NBA in China and really all over the world. And Stan Kasten, who is the Dodgers president, he has seen this firsthand because before he was with the Dodgers, I mean, well before he was with the Dodgers, he was with the Atlanta Hawks. He was with the Atlanta Hawks from 1979 to 1990. And so recently we had the the owners' meetings about a week ago. And he talked about how, can you imagine the NBA without international players? Can you imagine the NBA without jerseys being sold all over China? And now as Warrior fans, we have seen the growth of the Warriors internationally. They're the number one international team going right now. Who would ever thought when Steph Curry was drafted out of Davidson that little kids in China would we be wearing Steph Curry jerseys? Who would ever thought that China Clay, Clay Thompson, would have a shoe. His shoe would be a Chinese shoe where he made like 80-something million dollars off of it. Everybody wants to go international. And I can actually talk about this as someone who has now experienced it multiple times. I've been very, very fortunate to go to Japan with the Athletics twice. Both times against the Seattle Mariners. This year, so I recently saw it, And also in 2012. Last season, working for the Raiders, I got to see London and American football. And the debate, would it work? As multiple teams played over there last year, and they have been, the London games. And I got to see the Raiders up against the Seahawks. I think when you see it, is when you start to believe it. Because for the most part, we as Americans go, eh, how's that going to work? 
the dynamic of having a team in another country, Canada, huh, okay, well, they're, they're, they're our neighbors to the north. But look at the time difference. Look at the, how are players and their families and all this kind of, the, 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 the players' union would never allow, I mean, I've heard this stuff for years. We don't like change. But I, I've talked about it from a football standpoint, and now we'll talk about it from a baseball standpoint. You've got to realize how big, and I mean, London to me, of all the, and I haven't been to every single city around the globe. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, not gonna kid you here, but I've been at some big ones, and Tokyo's a big one, and New York's a big one, and London to me is the best city I've ever been in. And if you had a Major League Baseball team in London, and you could be the star player knowing how big London is, knowing how the whole to, – to, to be the star baseball player in Europe, I would compare it to what would it be like to be the star football player in Europe when you see what these soccer players make in endorsements. I don't think American players out of the gate and this this probably won't happen for many, many years. They're not going to make what the soccer guys make. But I can guarantee you this. If I'm a star player in London and people around Europe are watching the game, I may not make what the soccer guys make, but I guarantee you I'm going to make a hell of a lot more than what the guy in Milwaukee makes or Kansas City or Miami or Houston. To be able to tap into that market could be incredible for Major League Baseball. And Stan Kasten said recently, and Stan is also the head of baseball's international committee, the president of the Dodgers, and I think because of his days in the NBA, they've kind of like, hey, you can help us with this because clearly baseball is behind. He said, quote, We know that the future for us includes billions of fans in China and includes billions of fans in India. Increasingly, because of the social media and the Internet, and the future because of legalized sports gambling. We are going to have fans all over. And remember, this is a big key, and remember... We have more product than any other sports. More games every day. Legalized sports gambling. We never got into that, Cody, about uh, at Wrigley Field. Can you imagine being able to make bets at the Coliseum? In-game bets at the Coliseum? It's coming. Betting on baseball games at baseball parks around the country is coming. Having it right on your phone is already here. And baseball, like Stan says, and he's dead right, you get people into it, baseball might be the best in-game betting sport there is because you don't have the action 
Like NBA, I've never done NBA, so I, I wouldn't even know. I've done only football. But the worst thing about when you bet in-game football, now how about that? I'm talking betting, and usually people would have been, oh, my God, you can't talk betting in baseball. Oh, my God. No, base, 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 this, this is the president of the Dodgers said this. Rob, Rob Manfred, Rob Manfred the, the commissioner of baseball, is all in. I know our sales guys have been to these conventions. This is going down. It's going to happen. You could be in Vegas. You can be in Tahoe. The in-game betting, problem with that in football, it constantly goes up, goes down, goes up. Not, I shouldn't say that. It constantly goes on the board, then off the board. On the board, off the board. Baseball, can you imagine? Pitching coach comes out. That gives you time to assess the situation. Will that runner, will that runner at third, will that runner at second, will they score? Will the pitcher be able to get out of it? How about the pitching change? Think of how much time we. you know when that manager comes out, he's taking the pitcher out. I now have, through the entire commercial break and getting back to decide in-game whether I want to bet this situation. It's going down. It's so funny how baseball still kind of, oh, my God, don't play fantasy baseball. Really? I got the president of the Dodgers talking about legalized sports gambling around the world. Now, I'm not sure how good this game is going to be, having been to Wembley Stadium, and Wembley Stadium from the, as they like to call it, the pitch, is not a very big area. So either right field or left field is going to be really, really short. And one of the gaps is going to be really, really short. So baseball is committed to playing in the United Kingdom this year and next year. Next year's game is going to be the Cubs and the Cardinals. Red Sox president Sam Kim, uh, Sam Kennedy, a member of the international committee, said, quote, I think you're going to see baseball double down on these efforts in the next five to ten years. There you go. Now, you might say, Townsend, do they even, they even, like, care about baseball in Europe? Do the Scots care about it? Do Germans care about it? Do the French? So looking into these games... And looking at the numbers, Europe already accounts for 30% of baseball's international consumer products revenue. 120,000 tickets for the London series sold out almost immediately. 70% of the tickets were purchased by residents of the UK. They dig Americans. I'm telling you. I I heard all this garbage about, oh, the NFL won't work. I went over there. The NFL... So Raiders, Seahawks, we had like 87,000 people there at Wembley Stadium where the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to play. We go back again this year, Tottenham Stadium. We were supposed to play there last year. wasn't ready. We'll play there this year, different part of London. Wembley Stadium's nice. Like they've redone it. It's pretty. The restaurant there. I mean, chandeliers, everybody was in tuxes. I mean, it didn't look like a football game. (laughs) Guys serving you in tuxes. Oh, my God, they had the lobster with the champagne. I was like, man, I'd rather be in there than on the field. 
But yeah, it's uh it's it's pretty it's pretty slick Wembley Stadium since they I I heard it wasn't that slick before, but Wembley Stadium where they're playing, I mean some of the biggest acts in the history of the globe have performed at Wembley Stadium. So, when looking at MLB at bat, which we all have, Baseball now broadcasts games in 35 European countries. I mean, it's 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 becoming big business. I mean, for you as a league to not be looking at overseas and even potentially, do we have our man Scott Boris? So check this out. We had Scott Boris on. I simply asked one question about Matt Chapman and his extension. Boris gave us like over two-minute answer, and he started going off about teams actually playing, Major League Baseball teams that will play their game, their home games, not in the United States of America. I think Major League Baseball is going to have a, you just have a market in Japan and Korea that is almost an additional, you know, 180 million people. You may see as many as five franchises. And then you're going to have this time zone. You're going to have a, a trans-Pacific uh, entity to our game. Um, so I, I think we're uh, to have franchises in these areas grow up to be what they should be, and that is major components of the league. How about that? It's the Oakland Athletics against the Tokyo race. I mean, Scott Boris, when he said that, I was like, what's he talking about? Yeah, having like five teams over in Japan, American American major league teams. It's crazy to think how you could schedule it. I've already worked it out how the NFL would do it, like the the Jaguars. You keep your facility in Jacksonville. You build a new facility in London. So you... You're constantly going to need to try out guys during the season. Well, you don't fly them to London. You keep them there in Jacksonville. And you, you make the team – the team will play like three straight games in London. Then they come back here, and they'll play three straight games here. You you, you would provide housing for the players because everybody's worried about the players and the wives. Hey, hey, if you think this is crazy, what about Montreal and Tampa sharing a team? That's crazy. I tell you what, right now, if 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 I would live in London, London's incredible. I'd live there. I'd give it a shot. I'd live in London over how many of the I live in London over Milwaukee. I'd live in London over Minnesota. I'd live in St. Louis where the A's are now. I'm t- one of the great things about London, everybody speaks English. It's not like Tokyo where it's like, oh, there's, a la- there's no language barrier. I have a couple good friends that lived it. They loved it. They lived in London. Their company sent them over for a couple of years. They, they lived there. They loved it. And how about this, what they're doing for the fans? So they're going to have their version of what we would call the Hall of Famer race with, with Ricky and Eck and Raleigh, uh, the, the 
what made it famous was the sausage race in Milwaukee. Now you got the, the, the presidents in Washington. So they put it out there for a vote. And these, the, these are the four that are going to be racing. Winston Churchill, Henry VIII, Freddie Mercury, and the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> That's so good. Now, how about this? So, I want you to remember, soccer isn't, no offense, soccer fans, no offense. There's not a whole lot of scoring in soccer. And the action, eh, there's some great action. Sometimes, eh, not. But there's certain things that happen in baseball that they don't have in their sports that you wonder if this hooks them a little bit. Foul balls. You get to keep foul balls at a Major League Baseball game. You do not get to keep the ball, whatever it's called in cricket. You don't get to keep it. So when the... And we need to get into that, by the way. God, they had the report out today about the the two-year-old girl that got hit in Houston at Minute Maid Park. Oh, boy, it's scary. I'll have to get to that at some point a little bit later. So they'll be able these balls will go into the stadium. They're going to be able to keep them. And then something that I didn't know about, about the Eng- – I don't know if this is the English Premier League only. Once again, I'm not a big soccer guy. I don't know if this happens in all the other leagues in Europe. But you can't purchase food from your seats from vendors. That doesn't happen to soccer games. You've got to, like, leave your seat, walk up, get the food, come back. So they're going to supply, I guess, a bunch of food for these people to be like, it'd be like the first time I saw you could buy beer in the stands. It happened at Yankee Stadium, 1999, when I was on my Hall of Fame trip where we were going to see George Brett, Nolan Ryan, and Robin Yount inducted to the Hall of Fame. And we went to Yankee Stadium, and this guy had this tray. And I know the the older A's fans will say, yeah, yeah. My lifetime, that didn't – don't remember that. They outlawed that in California a long time ago. And I remember the guy let – the guy came up to us. He had this tray. You know, he had the belt around his neck that's connected to the tray. And he had beer. And you got four Californians looking at this guy like he's an alien. And I remember when we can buy beer from you. Yeah, the New York. Oh, yeah, yeah, you can buy beer. And I was like, how many per person? You can buy two. I said, okay, give me eight. And keep coming back. Because, this, I mean, my entire life buying beer, no matter what stadium I went to, you had to go up and purchase the beer and wait in line. Now the guy's right at your seat. Now we have it back in California. I mean, that, that's the biggest. It's one of the biggest travesty in California baseball history. They took away buying beer from your seats. Yeah, let's take – hey, you know, I got an idea. Let's get people away from watching the game. What do you say? Let's have them go up to this thing called the concourse and wait in line and not see the action. And, and years ago, a lot of those ballparks, they didn't have TVs everywhere. So you waited in line didn't get to see the game. Now, I don't know why they got rid of it. There, there may be a good explanation. I don't know. But a guy at 47 years old 
that would just that just have we. I think the Padres bought it, brought it back first. Then we were the second team. I think it was that last year. We brought back beer. You buy beer. Yeah, it was last season. I was forty six years old. How sad is that? Forty six years old. First time I could ever buy a beer in my seat at an A's game. In my lifetime, I know. It used to be here years ago. But, yeah, they don't get to buy food. Can you imagine how they're going to go nuts? They can buy beer in the stands there at Wembley Stadium. I wish we were all going. You would love it. It's an incredible trip. But playing outside the United States, come on. We've been playing in Mexico. We've been playing in Australia. We've played in China. Obviously in Japan. This is where this thing's going, and once again, legalized sports gambling is going to be huge for Major League Baseball. Now joining us, he does a fantastic job, intentional talk on the MLB Network, one of my favorite shows, and then also what he does for the NFL Network. Chris Rose is with us. Chris, how are we doing this evening? Doing great. What's going on? Where we are just talking about it, because it just happened again in Chicago, it's who can pimp it? Who can't? Let the kids play. Do we like bat flips? Can Marcus Stroman be yelling on the mound? It's like we have all these rules for different guys, and at some point it's just you want to talk about an act being tired. It's everybody being upset with guys showing a little emotion. Yeah, I think that if you kind of follow along, I think that Contreras was actually responding a little bit to Bryant getting hit a couple batters before him. So, you know, the Cubs have been tagged a lot lately. Um, and then, you know, I think that that was probably a reaction to it. That's what this one sounds like, at least. Not 100% certain, but just kind of watching the game from a distance. Listen, for me as a baseball fan, none of it bothers me. I don't care. Flip a bat, and everybody like, well, it's got to be an important at bat. It's got to be a can't be Tim Anderson giving the White Sox a lead in the third inning. Why not? Maybe that's the one that puts them over the top. Maybe that's the one that ends up starting a winning streak. Maybe, And Marcus Stroman turning into the Red Sox dugout and yelling, fine. And for Eck, of all people, to start getting on him, I'm like, uh, did, did, did you forget what you used to do? Like at the end of games, punching guys out, all that sort of stuff? Like, it's fine with me. It doesn't. None of it bothers me, but I don't know. Some people get their... Uh, Feathers ruffled, I guess. I was recently in Cleveland with the Oakland Athletics where the A's had a great series against the Tribe, and and a lot of people there in Cleveland were wondering the future of this team heading into the trading deadline. But all of a sudden, your Indians have gotten hot, and they've won won eight of their last ten, and they're now 42-35. and Tell me about your Tribe trying to chase down the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, I don't think they'll be able to chase them down because I don't see the Twins. Let's say the Indians go 8-2 and two over a 10-game stretch. I don't see the Twins going 2-8. and eight. Um, The Indians are significantly improved. The Bats have, have gotten going in the month of June, and they've played well, uh, especially against a bunch of decent teams. I mean, they took a series from the Yankees. They took one from the Red Sox. Um, so they've done okay against some some pretty good clubs, and now they're – kind of getting into the all-star break against some of the quote-unquote weaker competition with Detroit and Kansas City and things of that nature. They're in, 
I think they're one of the most interesting teams come trade deadline time because I could see them doing three things. I could see them adding a small piece offensively, nothing that's going to cost them big time, either financially or prospect-wise. I could see them dealing the likes of Bauer and or Hand because those are the most, you know, tradable pieces that you've got right now that, that teams would, I think, give you a decent haul for, especially for Hand. Uh, or they could trade Bauer and say we're going to hang on to Hand because he's affordable the next couple of years. And sure, we won't have as good a pitcher as Trevor Bauer, but we'll get something decent for him and still try and chase down this wild card. And you never know, make it back to the playoffs somehow and you get Kluber back and Clevenger. And if things are clicking, maybe you make a decent little run. Yeah, some tough calls. And uh, Trevor Bauer, I know a lot of people love to have him on their staff for the rest of the season. And what makes this year so interesting, no waiver wire process. You get one shot right. at it. Do you think we're going to start seeing some trades earlier now? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised we haven't at this point. Um, you know, I mean, it's this is a game of chicken for all these GMs. They're really going to try and, I guess, try and figure it out over the next four weeks and see – exactly where their team is but it's you know it's almost like the decision that you don't want to make in your life and you know that it's really not going to change that much over the next month so you're just like i'll put it off another month like you know i think a lot of these teams just because of you know how much depth there is in baseball and maybe in some cases a lack of true stardom with some of these teams and star power that you're going to see a lot of teams caught in the middle just like they are right now in the wild card standing so your decisions aren't going to change in a month. It's just a month later. So why didn't I pull the trigger a month ago? Maybe I could have gotten a guy that could have helped me. You're down in Los Angeles, so you get to see the Dodgers a lot. And just the year they're mm-hmm. having once again. And what what I marvel at is the stat of 16 homegrown players currently on the roster. Talk about what you're seeing with the Dodgers. And they have so many young, terrific players. Well, it was interesting. After Will Smith became the third straight rookie to hit a walk-off homer against the Rockies this weekend, Oral Hershiser, who does the TV for the Dodgers, said there's so much depth in this organization, you could almost field two major league teams. And it made me laugh, and I was like, that's, that's a great line, because they do have so much talent. Now, here's the question. Do, do they have – they value their prospects. And we can understand why. I mean, you know, they never wanted to get rid of Seeger. They never wanted to get rid of Bellinger. You know, back in the days when guys like David Price and Cole Hamels were available. But now you can understand why. But do they give up a couple of pieces to go fortify that bullpen, which in my opinion is, is still the most glaring need, to try and become the first National League team to make three straight World Series since the Cardinals in the 40s? I would say yes. Um, I don't think they can go into October with what they've got presently. But, damn, they are a good team. They're drafting well. They develop well and give those kids a lot of credit because when they come up, they they act like they belong. Yeah, because you get to a point to where some of these kids, they're blocked. So just stash them in the minor leagues does you no good. Well, I mean, it does to a degree, you know, I mean, Russell Martin, I think his contract's up next year. So this kid, Will Smith, who has a walk-off homer uh, yesterday, you know, he could be their starting catcher next year, no problem. And they'd 
feel good about that, right? They had another. They have another kid that's a minor league catcher that's even younger, from what I understand. That's a really, really good hitter, um, and is developing behind the plate. But yeah, I mean, are they going to have places for everybody? That's why they made the Puig and Kemp deals in part to make sure that Cody Bellinger's starting every game, not that he's playing every game like he did a year ago, but but coming off the bench in thirty of them. What are you thinking if you're a, a rival GM in the National League West and, and, and you're listening to a conversation like this about all that talent? we got to get better. I mean, you know, yes, it's nice to have a $200 million payroll, but a, a lot of those guys that are contributing, right, are, aren't big-time salary guys right now. So they're doing a good job in the minor leagues, and that's, you know, it's a, it's a little bit like what the Yankees are doing, too. I mean, they're getting it from both ends. They can afford to have a guy like Jacoby Ellsbury not contribute over the length of a seven-year contract. But at the same time, when all those big wheels are injured and they're getting the sort of play they got out of Luke Voigt and Giovanni Urshela and Clint Frazier when he was up here, you know, that, that could have been any team if they had drafted, developed, and traded as well as these mega powers have. You know, I think about this time of the year, as you also work for the NFL Network, I also work for the Raiders. At what point is it starting right now? Is it July where you start getting that buzz for the NFL again? Yeah, I mean, I think you always have a buzz for it. I mean, are you, you ready for hard knocks? You're gonna be, are you going to make a guest appearance on this thing? Oh, I, I can't. How about this? Not only hard knocks, but a hard knocks in Napa, California. Yeah, I know. That'll be interesting. That could be hard knocks after dark. It could be a, <laughs> could be a, it could get a little loose out there, which I think is what we're all expecting and ready to have some fun with it. You know, I think it could be a great hard knocks, obviously with Gruden and Mayock and two guys who don't mind chopping it up on camera, um, talking about stuff. And then obviously you add in the AB factor and car can carry on a conversation and, I mean, geez, if you don't sit down A.B. and Vontez perfect for the first scene of the whole season, then I don't know what you're doing. But there's a lot of good stories there. And, you know, I, I mean, I can't wait to get it all rolling. It's especially for a guy from Cleveland. It should be uh, it should be nice. Oh, no doubt about that. Are you going to go to the All-Star game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I've been waiting for this one ever since they, they penciled it in a couple years ago. Um, since I've been alive, the – city of Cleveland's hosted two all-star games in 1981. I was away at summer camp, begged my parents to take me with, and they wouldn't. And then in 1997, I was working at CNN in Atlanta and I was too young to have any juice to, uh, you know, earn my way onto the roster that time. So, uh, I will be going there. We'll be doing intentional talk live. I'll be doing some stuff with the celebrity softball game on Sunday. I'm bringing my two sons who are the diehard Cleveland sports fans and my wife, and we're actually going to shoot a piece for intentional talk where we stand in the uh, left field area for home run derby and kind of mix it up out there. So I can't wait to get going. Well, you guys have an incredible show on the MLB network and also what you do for the uh, NFL network, top notch, big fan. Thank you so much for stopping by the show and enjoy the all-star game. I appreciate it. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate you coming on. Hey, guys. How are you doing? We're doing great. And, and, and 
I'm not sure yet if you've gone into the Cardinal Hall of Fame, but congratulations. What a big honor with all the great names. Have you guys had the ceremony yet going in with Scott Rowland? Uh, no, it's, I, it's uh, August 20-something. Yeah, it's uh, myself and uh, Scott Rowland and Mort Cooper. Wow, when you think of the names, when you start talking about Stan Musial and Bob Gibson and all the the Gas House gang and all those great Cardinals, what's that going to mean to you to go into the Cardinal Hall of Fame? Well, I, I think it means more to me than most because, I mean, I grew up 35 minutes from the stadium. So, um, you know, I grew up watching Ozzy and Willie, and um, and then I got to, when I started playing for the Cardinals, I got to go hunting with Red Shandies and stuff like that, and... Uh, uh, just to be in that sentence or even in the conversation with Lou Brock and Whitey Herzog and Bob Gibson. And, and now we're getting to our uh, our kind of um, our guys from the 2000s with Chris Carpenter and Jimmy Edmonds and uh, uh, some new guys we're getting in there. And it's just going to it's just going to be an amazing thing. My, my friends and my family, it's it's uh, it's something that it, it's hard to put into words. Uh, I'm, I'm already starting to get nervous when I think about trying to talk in front of everybody and, and, and put on that red coat. Um, I know those guys that get those coats from Cooperstown, it's really, really special and something that, uh, for me, being a local kid, putting on that red coat as a Cardinals Hall of Fame, that's something that, that it's just going to mean the world to me. And, and it, it, that's one of those things that nobody can ever take away from you. Yeah, we're happy for you. And, and have you started working on the speech yet? <laughs> I have not, you know, I, I, uh, every time I think of something that I want to say, you know, I, I just kind of put it down in my phone. So I have like a certain file in my phone of things that I want to say that, uh, it's mainly, it's nothing more to me than it's thanking everybody that helped me get to where I, where I finally got to. Um, you know, you thank the fans, you know, foremost, because I again. You thank your parents, you thank coaches, you thank players. I mean, because without good players behind you, you're never going to get a say. So you can't strike nobody out. So, I mean, there's just so many guys to thank. And it's more about thanking people than, than praising yourself. But it, it, it's going to be a great day. It's going to be a fun day. Uh, my family's looking forward to it. I have family down in um, Dallas. So I'll have a lot of people in town. It's going to be a, it's going to be a big deal, a lot of fun. You know, I remember the night you got traded to the Oakland Athletics, and I had Billy Bean, who was then a really young general manager when he made that deal with the Mets, and you came over, and it's when you made your first all-star appearance. What did it mean for you getting out of New York and getting a start with the Oakland A's, a new start with the Oakland A's, completely different vibe from New York, and you just blossomed? You know, I think it was it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because you know, I was 22 years old, and uh, you know, supposedly to be the next uh, Tom Seaver in New York, and everything kind of flopped uh, for the three of us, the Generation K thing, and um, you go from a media hub to a fairly quiet area in Oakland, you know, the Bay Area. You, you may have two or three reporters in the clubhouse a night compared to 10 or 15. Uh, so I think it prepared me for what's going to be ahead in my career. So I, I got to Oakland, I got to breathe a little bit, and I got to become uh, the pitcher that I thought I could be. So, I mean, I owe so much to Billy Bean. I mean, Billy Bean saw something in me that uh, to put me at the back end of the bullpen 
And so, I mean, like, that's, like I said, I mean, that's another guy I have to thank in my feet because without Billy Bean doing what he did and trading for me, I, I, I don't know where I'd be here right now. So, um, I know Billy Bean, yeah, you're right. He was a young GM right, right then, and he, he had faith in me and made me a young closer. I had Doug Jones was in our bullpen, and um, I sat down next to him every single day, and he explained everything to me, and we just kind of, Forming a relationship, and I just kind of just try to take off from there. Yeah, I, I think about that where you're supposed to be the next Tom Seaver, and then you actually make the All Star game as a closer. Nobody would have ever saw that. <laughs> no, I mean, and you know, we we talked with them, and they said, "Well, you have the makeup of a closer, but you know, that short term memory, the the hair on fire, the adrenaline thing, the how much I loved it, but." You had guys like Johnny Franco that I lived with. You had guys like Armando Benitez in front of you. I mean, these are guys that made uh, all-star teams, guys that were great. So, you know, I got my first save as a three-inning save as a long man out of the bullpen in New York. And, and next thing I know, Billy Bean makes a trade for me. And I'm like, oh, we want you to pitch at the back end of the bullpen. I said, well, just tell me what to do. And Doug Jones, like I said, tried to explain to me how to do things, and his main thing to me was, like, you know, I'll let someone beat you to the short part of the field late in the game. So my idea in my mind was to concentrate on being able to throw that fastball down in the way, and I got good at it, and that's all I did. I mean, nowadays you have guys that can hit the ball out of the park to off the field, but back then you know, there, was, there was maybe one or two guys that could do it. So, I mean, it's the baseballs have changed, the parks have changed, the uh, – you know, the philosophy of pitching has changed. So, I mean, it's I did it at the right time, and I, uh, I have to owe a lot to Billy Bean and the Oakland A's for sure. And I think about your time with, with the athletics where you got to go to the postseason. What was that like for you in those teams? Well, I mean, when you think about our – you think about Tim Hudson, Mike Mulder, and Barry Zito, Joe Heredia, the late uh, Corey Lionel. I mean, we had great starting pitching. I mean, these guys – these guys are going so many games every night, you know, so it, was, it made our job really, really easy on the bullpen. Um, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, you, you look at the Moneyball movie, there's not a whole lot said about our starters, and, um, you know, those starters, the, the motor, the Zitos, the Hudsons, were were the, uh, I guess you call the backbone of those teams. It was It was a pretty special time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love my time with the A's. It was the best time I've ever had in my life. It was the most fun we had in our life with, you know, you have Jason Jambi leading the way, and you have, you have Johnny Damon, Jermaine Dye, you have Terrence Long, Aaron Chavez, your, uh, Miguel Tejada. I mean, it's, it's just, the list goes on and on. Bain Greaves, so much fun. We had a great time. Yeah, and then you go to St. Louis, and now you're once again pitching in the heat of it. And talk about your times with the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I mean, what a, what a phenomenal run you guys had there. Well, you know, when you get there, and first time I ever met Tony Larusa, and it was like, it was like, oh crap, you know, <laughs> this guy is all about winning, you know, and uh, he won a lot with Oakland with Oakland back in the nineties. Um, you know, they won some World Series, and he, got, he he went to St. Louis. Walt Jockety brought him there, and it was all about winning. I mean, the culture in St. Louis was nothing about winning. 
uh, very business-like. You know, it wasn't fun. It wasn't the college days like it was in Oakland where we had a lot of fun and we won. It was more business-like, but we won. If we, if we, if we got a lead on somebody, it was like we're going to stomp on their throat and we're going to beat them. I mean, it was just win every game, win every series, and we're going to see where we come out at the end of the day. And, and Tony was that guy. Like, hey, Tony, what's up? Well, at 10.30, I'll let you know. You know, Tony is very intense. And it, and it trickled down to Dave Duncan. It, it trickled down to every coach. And it trickled down to the players. And that's just the way we went about our business. We had great talent, you know. And then you go out and take the people like Larry Walker to make things even better. Uh, it was an amazing time in St. Louis. We won a lot of games. We got to the World Series a couple times. We got to the postseason a lot. Uh, but, you know... I, Without going to the postseason in Oakland, you know, how do you prepare for those things that I went through in St. Louis? So, I mean, it, it's amazing time, amazing years. Um, look forward to in August when I get the red coat for the Cardinals. But, you know, you, you look back and everything's a stepping stone. I mean, I work for the Cardinals now, and I try to explain to these kids the process is more important than the product. And to me, the product is getting the red coat. The process is everything that I went through until I got there. And the Oakland A's, that time I was there, was a huge stepping stone for me. Yeah, and, and you know what it's like to be a young player and a young phenom to get hurt. Just how tough was that for the Cardinals organization to hear about the, the UCL tear in the right elbow of Jordan Hicks? You know, it was funny because we had a – we had our uh, Cardinals care. It was a big uh, charity thing that we do with the Cardinals. We had our big uh, golf tournament yesterday. And I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm on the ninth or tenth hole, and I get a phone call. This is Jordan. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be a good phone call, I don't think. And uh, Jordan said, yeah, I have to have uh, Tommy John surgery. And I was like, you know, I feel for the kid. You know, I, we've explained to him, or I've explained to him, like I said, I, I try to tell these kids, I'm like, Think about it. I said, how many people are in the world to him? I was like, there's 7 billion, and you feel harder than every single one of them. I said, God gave you a gift. You have to start taking care of it. And then he started figuring out, and now, you know, you you have surgery, which is bound to happen because the man throws so hard, the human body's not able to sustain that kind of pressure on the elbow. But, you know, he's going to have the best care best uh, rehab that, he, that money can buy, and, um, you know, he's going to come back healthier than ever. We just got to uh, keep his head on straight, you know. Uh, it's a big blow to the Cardinals, but nobody's going to feel sorry for them. You know, the Brewers aren't, the Cubs aren't. It's kind of next man up. We got Andrew Miller. We got John Gant. We got Carlos Martinez. We got a couple other young guys that are going to have to step up and, and do their job, you know. Um, injuries happen in baseball. We all know that. We've all been there, done that. And uh, it's just another another stepping stone for the Cardinals to get through. And we'll get through it. Um, you know, but I do feel sorry for Jordan because he was on the right track mentally more than physically. But, um, you know, some things you cannot prevent. Jason, thank you so much for the time. And congratulations on going into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Enjoy it with your family and friends. And we'll talk to you later on down the line. Thank you guys so much for um, involving me. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun series this weekend. The A's are coming in hot. Uh, I love watching Chapman at third base. And, um, you know, uh, it should be a good series. Everybody's playing great baseball, and we'll see what happens. Good luck. Take care.
All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Dr. Meredith Wills, astrophysicist, has written just an incredible article on the baseball. Like, you'd think, like, all right, the baseball's changed, you know, from, like, 2010 or, you know, 2000 or 1995. The ball has changed as of last year. The ball's different. Now, the commissioner of baseball talked about the pill, which would be the little rubber ball that's at the center of the baseball. But that's why we bring on Dr. Wills, because Dr. Wills did an incredible – this is why you get an athletic subscription, because you get articles like this that are just incredible. Dr. Wills, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thank you. What made you want to investigate the baseball? How did you get into this? Wow. Um, well, I guess I already had uh, some experience with taking baseballs apart, uh, some collaborations that I'd done with the Baseball Hall of Fame, and had right around when everyone else was looking at the previous home run search in 2017, back when we thought that was sort of you know the coolest thing ever, People were looking at all different ways of how the home run surge could be happening. And uh, one thing that seemed like a possibility was that it might be the construction itself. So uh, knowing, and I guess there, there's some, some historical precedent for the fact that changing, say, the interior of the baseball can actually change how it comes off the bat. And because I already had a lot of experience taking apart baseballs, uh, I thought, okay, well, let me see if there's something about the ball itself that's changed. Uh, and this is before the Home Run Committee, by the way, came out and said, we know it's the ball. Um, and so that was kind of how everything started. And I ended up finding a change about three days before the Home Run Committee report came out and said, by the way, this change for, that caused the 2017 home run surge was the ball, but they couldn't figure out what that change was. So they, uh, you know, they threw up their hands basically. And I thought, great, you know, here, I've actually got a change, which it turned out to be the thickness of the laces and which also turned out to give a reason for why the ball would be traveling further. And uh, I guess that set me up for them looking at this year's home run search. So, Yeah. <laughs> It, 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 a lot of baseball. I, I got to tell you, it's fascinating stuff in the commissioner of baseball because we knew with the the balls flying out of the ballpark at, at a record pace and then using the same ball in AAA for the first time, and that's going out at a record, record pace. You, something's got to be going on, and baseball was going to have to address it. And the commissioner has now talked about the, the little ball in the middle, a little rubber ball called the pill, and how they're just getting better at centering it that causes less drag. Are you buying what the commissioner has to say? Um. I know this keeps coming up. I feel like I need to put up a, a, a neon sign somewhere. If you actually look through the statement, that's the first thing he lists. It's the thing he goes into the most detail on, but he does list a number of other possibilities. And at the end says, we actually don't know what the cause is. Now I'm, I doubt it's the pill being centered or more centered because I'm not sure the pill wasn't centered to begin with. Uh, it's hard to make a baseball with an off-center pill. Uh, 
So to have them off center in the first place would be surprising. And you'd have to come up with some very, very different way of making the balls to make them more centered. Um, So while you technically could have a ball, if the pill is off center, it wouldn't travel as far. I somehow don't think that's the issue. I think it was just that was a possibility that the home run committee came up with for what might have been going on with the 2017 ball. But I think he just used it as an example of a possible change. And because of the way it was said, for some reason, some people took it as we know this is the change. Yeah, it's not the case. Are the materials for this ball the same as the balls we've seen in 15, 16, 17, and 18? Mostly. Um, the, the materials themselves are basically the same. Uh, the leather for the 2019 ball is smoother, uh, you know, and that's, that's essentially related to a process that they do at the factories in Costa Rica. They do what's called skiving the leather to smooth it down. And so that seems to have improved because we now have smoother leather. Uh, one change that is different as far as materials is that the laces, which were thicker, and that's what explains the 2017 home run surge, are back to being thinner, comparable to what they were before those changes, which would have been, say, you know, like it changed in the middle of 2015. So they're comparable to like 2014. Um, the reason for that might be that there's been uh, before this year, there was a strong correlation with this rise in pitcher blister injuries that seems to be related to laces being thicker. And so it looks like it may have been a proactive, um, a proactive step on MLB's part to make sure that pitchers weren't getting blisters because of the laces anymore. But that's the only materials change that I've seen is that the laces are thinner again. Okay, so then uh, what are we looking at? Why is this ball flying further, the numbers show it, than any ball we've ever had in Major League Baseball? Well, um, the why is basically because, I mean, the reason a baseball would fly farther is because it's more aerodynamic. It has less drag. It, It cuts through the air better. It just blows down less quickly is a good way to think about it. Um, And there are several changes with the ball, uh, one of them being that leather smoothness that I said, um, that would any one of them would actually have made the aerodynamics better. However, it turns out there's several. Uh, The other ones that we're seeing are the seam height is much, much lower. Uh, Certainly it's nothing like completely different from any baseball we've seen before. And uh, we're also seeing that the balls are rounder. And that was what seemed to be the cause for the 2017 home run surge was that the balls for 2017 were rounder than the previous generation. Uh, And that, again, believe it or not, did relate to those thicker laces. They have managed to change or at least improve, let's say, the process such that these new balls are even rounder, which, again, would make them uh, slow down less quickly, I guess, and hence travel further. So, um, yeah, so, so there's a number of changes. And uh, like I said, any one of them would have led to more home runs. And having several of them makes it, uh, yeah, it, you're definitely going to have a lot more home runs. Well, here's another thing to throw in there for you. Scott Emerson, the pitching coach for the Oakland Athletics, when I asked him about it, he said, no doubt the ball's different, but also check the bats. 
Are the bats harder than ever? You know, the glaze that they put on the bat. Have you looked into that at all? I haven't. Um, some people have brought up the bats. Uh, let's put it this way. It's, it's worth looking into. What I would be curious about is the change that we're seeing is huge and it's league-wide. It's not just like we have a few players hitting more home runs. We have, you know, teams as a whole are hitting more home runs. Like, everybody's doing it. Uh, and, and the types of home runs we're seeing, you know, uh, Todd Frazier hit a great one basically off his knees. Uh, you know, was it, excuse me, home run. How often do you see that? Um, but if the bats are the case, you'd have to basically, the guys from last year to this year, would have had to have some kind of overall change. You know, suddenly this new bat has become really, really popular and 60% of the guys are using them. Now, I don't know if that's what's happened. Uh, you know, like you said, new glaze, if enough people are doing it, then, yeah, it absolutely could have an impact. Uh, whether it would be primary, again, has to do with how much of it you're seeing. Uh, you'd also have to test to see how the ball is coming off the bat. So um, exit velocity seemed to be very slightly up. So that could be related to the bat. Um, but that's something that, again, Rob Arthur's looked into that part. Uh, so I'd uh, probably go to him and say, here, you want to look into this? You, you, you know, I think about this just like I think about the game of golf. And the game of golf had a problem. Their technology was getting so good, not only the balls but the clubs, the drivers, that they had to scale everything back. Is that mm -hmm. something baseball is going to have to look at, or are they just going to be like, more home runs? How is it bad for business? That's actually a really, really good question um, because I do – how would I put this? I do think we may be at a point where it's going to be hard to improve on the ball, if that makes sense. Uh, and this better baseball, as it were, because it does seem to be related to improved manufacturing processes and higher quality control and things like that, um, are having enough of an impact on the game where it's, it's having a very strong effect. And there's a lot of reaction to that effect. Uh, so, but on the other hand, do you want to roll back and say, okay, we've had a really good baseball. We want to make it bad again or worse again. I don't know if that's the right attitude towards it, but I guess it's something that would require thought. And um, I'm not, especially for pitchers, I don't really care for this status quo because with the seams being lower, particularly in mean, the lace, there's, you know, the, the, the leather being smoother is also a problem. But it's a lot harder to pitch than it used to be because lower seams, even if you spin the ball as fast, it just doesn't grab as much air. Um, certain types of pitchers and certain types of pitches are going to be impacted more than others. And I don't want to see a guy's career destroyed because suddenly the ball is new and he can't throw his cutter anymore. You know? That doesn't seem fair. So... Breaking? Would you say breaking? Well, they're throwing more sliders than ever before. What pitches would you mm -hmm. say are, are affected the most by this new ball? Well, I I do know that, that there. It, what it seems to have to do with is there are. It's interesting. Early in the season, certainly, you did hear about people's sliders 
having problems. So, you know, those are kind of the numbers that I've looked at because people have been figuring out how to compensate since then, but being caught off guard and working with, okay, this is how I've pitched my entire life, and now i am been handed a ball that's unlike anything I've ever seen and you want me to throw it. Uh, sliders were absolutely being affected. Uh, that's the big one I've heard. I've heard a little with two-seam fastballs. Uh, the, the one that I heard that was not much affected was actually four-seam. But otherwise, it seems to just be kind of spin-related and, again, pitcher-dependent. But things like early in the season, walks were up, hit-by-pitches were up, wild pitches were up. So league-wide, there were issues with control. And that was kind of, as much as anything, that's that's the problem. You know, the ball wasn't going where the guys wanted it to go. You don't throw a wild pitch on purpose. What's it like for you to now be a Major League Baseball rock star? Everybody's reading your stuff. Everybody's loving it. You're, like, famous now. <laughs> wow. My dad's going to love listening to this part. Uh, my dad thinks it's awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you, you think I'm kidding, actually. He's, he's wanted me to be a baseball rock star since the day I was born. But uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I love that. I love that the work is consequential. I love that I'm doing something that means something to the game because this game means everything to me, and it, it always has. Um, it is a little strange to be be somebody who people suddenly know and that what I do is consequential. Uh, very strange kind of internal reaction. Uh, I guess it was two days ago. Um, God, I don't even, I can't even keep track of my days anymore. Maybe it was yesterday. Who knows? Uh, that's one of the things is I can't even keep track of the days because I'm talking to so many people. <laughs> but um, ESPN did a bit on their rundown for pardon the interruption and uh, I work in, in sports technology. And so I'm, you know, walking by a TV at the office because we've got, you know, big TVs with sports on everywhere. And I see that the next thing coming up is baseball. And I sit there and I start watching them as they start talking about my work in the third person. Like it's a really big deal. And here's something that's impacting the game and all of this stuff going forward. And I'm just like, they're talking about me. They're talking about my it's, it's a strange feeling. I'm sure once you've done a lot of media or people know who you are, you get used to it, but I'm not used to it. It's only been a few days. Ah, uh, but we're loving it. Hey, if you find anything out, make sure you come back on the show. You're fabulous. Well, I mean, I'm only down the road from you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, walking distance from the Barton Fremont. So, you know, if you ever want to have me up there, by all means. Oh, for sure! I didn't so, know you were. I didn't know you're local. You live here in the Bay Area. Oh, I'm I'm way local. Yeah, by all means, and I have have this. I I haven't been to the Coliseum yet this year, but damn, I want to go. Oh, hey, I I got I got four tickets every game. Whenever you want to come up, you contact us. I got you. I will absolutely do that. Looking forward to it. And you know what? Why don't we come to you? Why don't we come to your lab and check it out? Would that be okay? I'd have to ask my boss um, because the baseball stuff that I do isn't – that's, like, totally different. You know, like, my baseball research is, is all me, which is kind of fun, you know, because it's like I can say, look, I did this all by myself. It's awesome. Um, I could ask. They might get a real kick out of it. But um, it's not something that tends to cross over. So, you know, but, yeah, 
you know, maybe they'll enjoy it. So, we we uh, we will be in touch. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And, and if uh, you know, I would love to. I mean, if people are interested, I'd love to talk to some of the guys with the A's about this. If if they if they're cool with it, because you know, particularly what some of the pitchers have had to say, some of the guys I've talked to are amazing, and it's just so great to hear stuff from the guys who are actually doing this every day because everybody's got a story and everybody's got something interesting. And it's, I I love that like what I'm doing is, you know, essentially helping them, helping them play, helping them do their thing. And it's just amazing. So, yeah. Well, just phenomenal. And doc, we will be in touch soon. Okay, great. I really enjoyed this. This has been a presentation of the Oakland athletics. 